Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. And welcome to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I'm Jerry Scott, the Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent, and this week we are tackling a very sensitive subject. Um, all listeners, I'm sure, will be aware of the disappearance of um, London woman Sarah Everard, who was originally from York. And if you have any kind of social media presence, you will have seen the outpouring of anger and grief and distress at Sarah's disappearance and at the um, policing of a subsequent vigil held for her. Um, These vigils are are going to be organised by a group called Reclaim the Streets and I'm lucky enough to be speaking to Al Garthwaite today who was among the organisers of these original Reclaim the Streets or Reclaim the Night marches in Leeds in 1977 at the time of Peter Sutcliffe. So we're going to speak to Al today. She's got some really interesting insights on what has changed, what hasn't changed and what still needs to be done to make sure women are safe on Britain's streets. Okay, so look, we've got a really exciting guest on Pods and Country today, but for a lot of really horrible reasons. And um my guest today is Al Garthwaite, who is now a councillor for um, well, a Leeds councillor, but it was among the organisers of the first Reclaim the Night um, marches right back in the 70s. And we've seen a lot of these marches popping up over the last few days, of course, in reaction, really, to the death of Sarah Everard, who, um, 33-year-old Sarah, was walking home from a friend's house in South London um, on March the 3rd. And tragically her body has now been discovered and it's sparked this real well look I'm going to go come over to you Al what has it sparked because I've just seen an outpouring of really rage but also women who feel the same that is very true that Sarah's death has sparked a huge outpouring of grief and of real anger that the streets are still not safe for women after all these years of campaigning and marching and demonstrating and bringing up the issues time and time again, we still find that this is happening. And we still find, although less than we used to do in the 1970s when I first started campaigning on this, um, we still find that women are being blamed for being out alone, for being in a particular place at a particular time. What were they doing there? 
why were they not at home? Men don't experience this sort of blame and it is just not right. Absolutely. So I want to get into all those issues that we've been discussing over the last couple of weeks, but let's let's go back. What was your involvement in first setting up what we now know to be these really powerful reclaim the night, reclaim these streets marches? It was in the, it was in the time of, of Yorkshire Ripper, wasn't it? It was. Um, by 1977, I'd been an active feminist for ooh, six or seven years, I would say, um, really getting increasingly angry about the restricted lives that women were supposed to lead then. Um, and the way in which, if things did happen, if we were attacked and so on, there was nothing that um, really nobody to help. There were no women's aid refuges, for example, for women who were experiencing domestic abuse. There were no rape crisis centers. Women didn't have, married women had no separate legal existence from their husbands. The range of jobs open to women were very restricted. And I'm ashamed to say that in some cases, the unions were not helpful in opening those up to women. All this was changing because of our actions in the women's liberation movement during the 1970s. We were setting up in our own time uh, refuges for women experiencing domestic abuse, opening the, the centres and so on. And um, this, I remember reading in um, Spare Rib magazine, it was a feminist magazine at the time, that a group of women in Germany had gone out on the streets angry that they were being harassed by young men on a particular night of the year when this tended to happen. And they said that they were going to reclaim the night and they went out the next night to reclaim it. And I was at the time in a revolutionary feminist group in Leeds and we thought, well, this seems like a really good idea because we were aware that there was a serial killer of women around who was later known to be Peter Sutcliffe. Mm -hmm. And at the time, uh, women across West Yorkshire were being killed, injured, and probably more than we even know about now. But um, that was, we were aware of that. So we thought, well, let's have a Reclaim the Night March in Leeds because we are really fed up with being told that we have to stay home. And what if you want to go to work, you want to go to study, you want to go out for a drink with a friend? And we were also fed up with just the general street harassment that went on and then being blamed if we did go out. Mm -hmm. So we said, let's have a march. And then we thought, why not make this, um, you know, wider than that and have it in a number of towns and cities across the country so that we'll really make an impact, get some publicity about this issue. So we wrote through the post, as you did in those days, um, to women's centres and women's liberation groups across the country. And I know that on 12th of November 1977, there were at least 12 Reclaim the Night marches that took place across the country. Wow. And it did get publicity. So, and it did make an impact. I mean, they were, we were small in number. When you look at the huge numbers, say, in Clapham Common or uh, at the virtual vigil in Leeds, I think it was over a thousand on Saturday, other vigils. There were, in Leeds, we were two groups of about 30 women in each group. One setting off from um, High Park Corner at Moor because there had been some um, attacks on women 
on the moor. And sadly, these can continue today. Also, and then a group of us from Chapel Town, because these were really the areas where most of us in the groups were living in the at the time. I was in the group from Chapel Town. We marched down the road and we had leaflets to give out to passers-by to explain what we were up to. And we carried flaming torches and we chanted slogans such as, however we dress, wherever we go, yes means yes and no means no and women unite, reclaim the night. And it was felt very empowering. And we were greeted with amazement really, because it was just so different from the way people thought about the world that you know, women should just be expected not to go out. And if you did, well, if something happened, then that was your fault. You took the risk. The, um, and the legacy that you've left from that is amazing, though, because even, you know, we're, we can, uh, I know listeners can't see us, but we can see each other today. We're clearly a very different generation. But as you said, yes means yes, then I was ready to come in and say no means no, because you know the slogans, you know it. And it's, uh, so it's quite the legacy, really, isn't it? Well, it is. Yes, I suppose so. But when you're doing it at the time, you don't think I'm making history. You just think, right, hate something, change something, which is very much the spirit in which I was brought up. Um, my mother was very active. She didn't have paid work, but she was very active on the charity committees and doing things to change mm. what was happening, fundraising and so on, making people's lives better, making a positive difference, yeah. and, but with other people. And my father was in the army. I travelled around throughout my childhood. And that, again, is, well, whatever one's view is, but it's about doing things with other people. And so that came quite naturally to me, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. And also the fact that you actually make do some practical actions. You don't just sit about at home saying, oh, isn't it dreadful? But you And then doing nothing about it. You actually get up there and... and Seek to change it. Yeah. And you said when you were describing that first march, then how empowering it felt. You know, I've I've been on similar marches, um, and it does feel empowering. And I think what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is, you know, actually I would argue we saw it during the Me Too movement as well. As women come and they share their experiences, it does feel empowering. But I suppose one of the big questions that I wanted to ask you is. Do you felt people listened and do you feel like they're listening now? Because I feel like we, we talk about it a lot and it is empowering to tell our stories, but is it making a difference? I think that back, back in 1977, yes, I think that there was a listening that took place, in some cases for the first time, mm -hmm. and also uh, quite a backlash as well. Yes in terms of, well, it's not all men. Well, I never, I have never said it's all men, ever. And sometimes even today, when you raise that, you get this very defensive, it's not all men. No, it's not all men. But men have the duty, I think, to challenge other men who are doing it. And that's something that I think should happen. Yes, and on um, that, I think the um, I think I saw a phrase which I quite liked, which explains it very well, which is, um, it's not all men, but we don't know which one of them it is. Well, we don't know which one of it is. That it is. That's the whole point. Someone who's going down behind you in a dark, again on a dark alleyway at night, 
how do you know? And that is the problem. It really is. It yeah. is the problem. And again, there's practical things we can do there about lighting and so on. But it's also, is that man going to do something? And we want them not to, obviously. And we want other men to act so that it becomes unacceptable. I mean, I think when I say unacceptable, anyone would think that going around and murdering a woman is obviously unacceptable. Um, rape is seen as un is unacceptable. But I think that everyday street harassment, I mean, what's it, 97% of young women aged 18 to 24 have reported in a recent survey they've experienced sexual harassment, anything from catcalling, wolf whistling, to groping, general unwanted touching, um, propositions in the middle of their day, and um, attempts to coerce them into sexual activity. And mm -hmm. um, this is completely unacceptable. And it's at that level that we really want to challenge things. And we really want our male allies to challenge other men on that as well. Yeah. And within the city council, we want to do as much as we can to, um, to promote that challenging, you know, within departments of the city council. Sometimes it's, um, there are a lot of men all working together in some of the manual trades, waste, um, mm. our, our refuse management service and so on. There's things we can do. We could look at, put, look at making videos to get through to everyone. We can look at putting uh, messages on the sides of the wagons. Uh, we already put a lot of messages about sustainability and environment. We should put ones out there about um, women as well and respecting yeah. women. Yeah. I know that after the appalling rape of that woman in India mm. in, a, in a public bus, it was dreadful. But, um, and then there was a lot of talk of taxis and the, some of the taxis in Delhi put up a sign, this taxi respects women. You know, that is making a statement. Yeah. Yeah. And and then there's training as well, which which can be done at all levels. So as a as a counsellor, I've instituted training for bar and club staff to uh, recognise and deal appropriately with any reports or incidents of sexual harassment, partner abuse, sexual abuse, whatever it might be, and also. Um, extended this training to the training that taxi and private hire drivers go through when um, they are applying for a license. Mm. So they see all sorts of things in their cabs and they need to know what they should call out, what they, how to refer it, what to do about it, who to tell, yeah. rather than thinking, oh dear, don't like the look of this, but I don't know what, what to do. And then in terms of on street, I do think um, that making misogyny a hate crime would be very, very helpful indeed. Because yeah. if a man thought, He's going to sexually harass, then he might get a criminal record. I think he might think twice. And I also think it gives women a, a really big motivation to report it. I know that reports of this sort of thing are going up. I mean, when I was when I was young, men used to say all sorts of things to me on the street that were quite horrible. And I wouldn't have dreamt of reporting it, because who would I report it to? Yes. Yeah. And the atmosphere I was brought up in, my mother would say, just ignore it. Just ignore it, dear. Well, you know, ignoring it isn't going to make it go away, no. is it? Never is. And someone's indecently exposing themselves and just ignore it, you know, and that's not the way forward. No, and I'm not. really, I'm really interested in, you know, everything that you're saying you're doing now 
you know, we're looking at what were those first marches being just what, 44 years ago, if I look at the I date. know. So it's a lifetime of activism and campaigning. I mean, you must be knackered. Uh, yeah, it gets tiring. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm. it really encourages me that so many women now are taking this up, that the government has been forced to act and institute a safer streets fund. I don't think it goes far enough. There's mm -hmm. things that everyone could say. But, you know, when I think that we were perhaps 60 women rallying in City Square in Leeds back in 1977, and now there's how many, you know? Thousands, really, thousands upon thousands. Many, many, millions. many. Yeah. Millions. I mean, we reclaimed the night marches. We had the reclaim the night march in 1977. It wasn't as if then there were none and now they were suddenly here. They've gone on all through the years and the decades. I think in the 90s, it was mainly um, women's officers in students' unions mm -hmm. who kept them going. And I know that I was invited to speak at a number of those occasions in Bradford or Lancaster or Manchester around, and Leeds around the country. And then in the early noughties, um, Finn Mackay in London with the London Feminist Network started them up again and they really struck a chord and they rapidly grew from, say, 60 women the first year to thousands a few years later. It was really positive positive and powerful and they started and um, all around the country as well hmm. um not just in the big cities either but yeah. small places i was going to say i think I, I, i'm interested really in that kind of progress point of kind of what has changed and what hasn't because you know you say so you were involved in yeah you know, feminist movements and things like that i think the vast majority actually of people nowadays would say they're a feminist i mean the prime minister says that he's a feminist i mean you can judge him on his actions but you know he does he's, he's more than happy to say yes i am a feminist is that something that's changed do you feel like people you know understand more what that is nowadays and feel happy to say yes absolutely of course i'm a feminist why would i not be well i'm not sure that boris johnson entirely understands what it is to be a feminist to be quite honest but yes there is a much greater understanding a much greater understanding of of what it means and what it means as well to be i think a male ally which is not about coming in and telling women what they should do or what misogyny is or how they should go about things i mean men can be allies by talking to other men in my opinion but yes there is and feminism um as a movement has grown and faded in popularity over the decades I know in, in sometimes in the noughties it seemed to be, no, no, you can't be a feminist. It means you're killjoy. It means you're just a horrible person who hates all men. I mean, this is not the case. And we want to call out men for their bad behaviour. It doesn't mean... And we want to support women who are having a bad time, no matter whether we actually like them or not. But people don't always gather that difference i suppose but yes i mean i do think that um there have been changes certainly there have been changes um i've talked about rape crisis centers now the um this was they were started by groups of feminists meeting in in rooms and community centers or their own houses and and just doing it entirely in their own time um, without any help or public funding. And now, uh, Support After Rape and Sexual Violence Leads is the Lord Mayor's charity. Mm -hmm. 
you know, that's a huge change. And at the 2018 Reclaim the Night March in Leeds, again, the Lord Mayor spoke of that. Yeah. So, you know, it's things have changed. The police from being, well, against it and just thinking of us as a group of wild women who are just out of control, there was no way of understanding what we might do next, then started to come on side, as did the um, the local authorities. Mm. And so we began to be able, in the late 80s, the 90s, to work in partnership. Leeds has a very strong domestic abuse and violence um, unit with staffed by officers, and there's a lot of other initiatives across the city for women ex who've experienced forced marriages, for example, um, women who've been sex trafficked, you know, all these all these sorts of things. Because I suppose um, there's a lot of things that have evolved as well that wouldn't have been in your campaigning something that you would have um, had to face in, you know, 77, things like, you know, things that happen online and, you know... Uh, unsolicited pictures of private parts and things like that and I suppose that it kind of shows that violence against women and harassment against women continues as technology advances as well doesn't it it does it totally does and yes we couldn't have dreamt of that and the absolute wash of really violent pornography mm. all available online is horrendous because yeah. it used to be that you got um someone who wanted to look at that bought a magazine and there were bad ones sort of under the counter yeah but it, it was like that and it was more of a what can i say a sort of furtive type of activity yes um but now it's just so prevalent and it horrifies me to think of the what boys for 13 14 year old boys looking at that what they are learning about sex yeah. from looking at that and, and girls who are forced to look at it as well or yeah. look at it and what what it does to girls' body image, what it does to boys and girls' expectations. It's appalling. And education is a really big part of this. My daughter's a high school teacher and she talks about this sort of thing a lot in personal and social and, and health education. Mm -hmm. And it is very hard to combat and then all the things like the upskirting and all the rest of it it's very very damaging in my opinion and that's not something we had to deal with we had to deal with a lot of things yeah. we didn't have to deal with that yeah absolutely and you know i think I, the, the reason i mentioned that is because i think things have changed but i also think we've been talking about things that have got better and maybe haven't and i think one of the things that we maybe saw in the light of um Sarah Varad case has been actually men saying how can I help as well and I'm sure there were men at the time but I would imagine and correct me if I'm wrong that it seems like the understanding seems to approach I mean I know personally I had a conversation with my partner about how what he can do if he's walking alone at night and he sees a woman walking on her own you know could you cross the road so you're not walking behind her can you cross the road and speed up so that you know she you know she knows, she knows you've walked mm. past her um and I think that education point is is really key what were you encouraged to see that you know there was a real discussion among men about what they could do 
I am encouraged to see that men are talking about what they can do. I've been very encouraged by the White Ribbon campaign, which of course has been going for a while, um, where men pledge not to remain silent on the subject of violence against women, whatever, whatever form it might take, mm -hmm. and to talk to other men and boys about it wherever they get the chance and to challenge it wherever they see it. I think it's brilliant that um, Leeds United, that Leeds Rhinos have signed up to the White Ribbon campaign and they've gone out onto the pitch wearing their white ribbons and they've talked about it and something has you know, come over the, the speakers and a video has been shown. This is what we want. This is the sort of thing that really shows men standing up to be counted and doing their very best to influence other men in this. And this is the sort of thing that um, since since the merger of Sarah and um, what's been going on in the last week or so, um, male officers from Leeds City Council have been saying, what can we do? We want to do these things too. We all want to work together. Yeah. So that we're working in a joined up way, not that they're coming forward saying, I'm going to be the leader, not like that at all, but to be real male allies and, um, and do their part in bringing it to a close. I think mm -hmm. that's what the way forward because after all why should women have to do it all yes <laughs> you know we need to get together we need to empower ourselves we need to show that we are powerful we're not going to put up with it of course and the kind of final thing that i wanted to touch on with you say out is we've heard this week about the uh the government's efforts to kind of crack down on protests a bit and i know when we were speaking before you said you're not quite an expert but don't worry you don't need to be um but we do know that protesting and kind of you know what that means is being spoken about at the moment that is potentially under threat that the police may be able to now shut down protests because they're too noisy or they're too impactful i suppose on a general point you're clearly very supportive of a protest why is our right to protest so important i suppose we've shown today the kind of snowballing effect it can have over the years that's quite right. I think there's we we really do have the right to protest. And I've been out on the streets protesting for decades, since the 1960s, really. And I think it's vitally important. I really do. I'm a, in favour of peaceful protest. I went to the Green and Common Women's Peace Camp protests, which were very impactful. And we didn't set out to be do any sort of violence at all. Mm -hmm. And there is this equation with protest equals violence equals you must get rid of it. This is not the case. No. It really is not. I think it's appalling that our right for legitimate protest is under threat in this country, which prides itself on being a democracy. Mm. It's really not the way forward in any way. Yeah, absolutely. And you spoke earlier when you were speaking about the first um first march when you said the police view you as wild women which i could quite a label that you'd be quite proud of actually i would imagine oh yes <laughs> it's fine <laughs> but uh, the reason i say that is um i imagine that's almost the way that some protests are being viewed now yes protests now they do seem to be being viewed as wild women out of control who knows what we'll do next or other protests and there are ways of dealing with it mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. i mean there was a we had the um vigils in leeds there was a small vigil at um, the university parkinson steps on saturday night yes women were laying flowers etc 
and uh, that was that was fine and then we had the virtual vigil as well and then on monday there was another vigil in millennium square and we didn't see the appalling scenes that took place in clapham with the police moving in and removing women i mean police were present in a very low-key way um because for a gathering you you want that you never know what might happen what we should say is you know the government response to that is that peaceful protest is a fundamental right to our society that parts of um this uh police crime sentencing courts bill that we're talking about right now is that are a kind of response to what they say are increasingly disruptive tactics seen in recent years and they say that you know that the legislation would maybe impose start and finish times or maximum noise levels. Um, but a protest is supposed to be noisy, right? Well, I, yes. I mean, protests are supposed to be noisy. And also, the, the majority of protests, um, if it's a march, okay, there might be a noise and it goes from one end of the street to another and then it's gone. Um, if it's in the centre of the city, what are, what other noise do you have? You have traffic noise, you have sirens, you have uh, people shouting, you have music coming out in normal non-COVID times from um, bars and clubs. Um, you have all, you have all sorts of noise. So I can't, I can't really see that. On the whole, noisy protests don't exist in quiet residential streets where people then sit down and stay there for a long time yelling and shouting. And if they do, then yes, deal with it like any noise. We have noisy parties, which, you know, keep residents awake. And that is to be deplored. And there are, there is methods of dealing with that. Yeah. So to, to brand all protests as, as not being allowed to happen because they're noisy. Well, really, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Absolutely. And look, I'm going to let you go in a second, because I imagine you've got a very busy day ahead of you. But the final thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, drawing on all this experience over the years and looking back at that first march, what is your advice, I suppose, to women still pushing the cause, but also, like you say, the men who you hope would be allies? Have you got kind of a message that you would give to them? Never give up. I like that. That's absolutely a brilliant way to end. <laughs> Thank you, Al, so much for coming on Podzone Country. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, too. I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to Podzone Country, the Yorkshire Post's political podcast. I've been Jerry Scott, the Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent, and you can find this podcast wherever you usually find your podcast, whether that's Google, iTunes, Spotify. We would really love it if you could uh, leave us a review to subscribe or tell your friends so we can keep making these podcasts every week and I will speak to you then.